Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Peach Pundit Podcast with Jason Pye, joined as always by Scott Turner and Boston Rockway, or excuse me, oh. Buzz, Buzz Rock, Buzz Brockway. Boston <laughs> might make an appearance too, who knows? <laughs> Boston made an appearance in the in the, the meeting beforehand, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, so uh, you, guys, you guys might notice I'm in a different location this week. I am in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, I am playing a little music this week, which I never get to do. It's kind of hard to do. As I mentioned, I'm recovering from a sinus infection. I have my right ear is completely stopped up. Uh, so I actually, the first thing I did when I got off the plane yesterday was go to an urgent care to get, oh a pres- get a prescription for amoxicillin. So I could like start getting this resolving uh, by Friday when I'm supposed to actually play publicly. Uh, and it sucks. I would rather have a broken leg than a stopped up ear any day oh. of the week. And I know that sounds... I mean, Scott, Scott's like, Scott's like, no, I, I, I get it. I get it. I get it. Yeah, dude. Nasty stuff. Yeah. It's not my favorite thing in the world, but initially I wasn't going to do this, but now I am here and it's too late to turn back now. So uh, we actually have a pretty good list of stuff to talk about today. Uh, The first things first, uh, Brian Kemp, governor, Brian Kemp went to the border uh, to, to see what was going on there. And this, uh, this was, I think, with other governors uh, from around the country who who visited the southern border to see what was going on. Uh, Scott, I'll go to you first here. What do you what do you what was the take? What's the takeaway from this? What does Brian Kemp hope to learn from from visiting the border? Well, I, I think he's trying to model leadership by example for Kamala Harris, who's been saying for months now that she'd go and hasn't hasn't gone to go and take up. Uh, first-hand perspective of what's happening down there you know the the Biden administration at one point told a local news station they were not allowed to fly their drones overhead anymore uh, which potentially a first amendment violation there for the freedom of the press so the the people locally there and the tv media got in a sheriff's helicopter and flew over and took some video and it was pretty startling what they were seeing at the time there were uh, thousands of Haitians camping out under a bridge near the border and uh, streaming back and forth. Uh, some of them had to-go canisters of food, as was pointing out by some activists. Uh, so there were obviously some sort of support structure in place. And I think the governor went to take a, a look firsthand. It also prevent, presented an opportunity for him to criticize the Biden administration for not acting on the crisis at the border and not treating it with the amount of attention that it really needs to be treated with at the moment. And it was a photo op for him to stand in, in co- coalition and solidarity with other governors who are uh, concerned about what's happening down there. It's a humanitarian crisis. I mean, regardless of whether you're from the right or the left, there are people who are suffering down there right now based upon policy decisions that have been made by the Biden administration. And he's not doing anything about it. So, uh, you know, you could be pro or against immigration. It doesn't really matter what's happening right now to these people because of the promise or false promise to the Biden administration that there would be some sort of action and uh, taken to allow them to enter the country. They're there and they're not being well taken care of. There's no facilities. There's no place to sleep safely. You know, something's happening down there and somebody had to go check it out because the yeah. Biden administration isn't. Yeah. Buzz? Uh, I think Scott nailed it well. I, I th- one funny story was uh, the governor of Idaho was there too. And so apparently while he was out of the state, the lieutenant governor of Idaho uh, decided that she would do some things that she wanted to do. She's a fellow Republican. So she uh, immediately ordered that there shall be no mask mandates anywhere in the state of Idaho and that the Idaho National Guard is to be dispatched to the Texas border. 
Uh, so uh, the, the, uh, the, the sitting governor of Idaho said, now, nah, uh, when I get back in town, we'll rescind those orders. So apparently this is the second time that she has uh, done stuff like this. The governor leaves the state and she decides she's in charge and starts doing stuff. So, I mean, yellow. This is not how this works, right? <laughs> yeah. Thankfully, Jeff Duncan did not take that approach while Governor Kemp was in Texas and start, uh, you know, making moves on his own so well governor governor uh well, lieutenant governor duncan is is what i like to call sane so <laughs> right. you know. but I, I mean one of the things like scott yeah you were you were, uh, you had said that this was uh uh something that was uh, created by the policies of the biden administration but we had had sort of human caravans of people coming up during trump we yeah. had them during obama it does this seem was... to, i was just gonna say it does seem to me that uh, this is a this is a uh, a policy crisis that no one party owns. Well, in this particular case, when, you know, narrowing it down to this latest example of people crushing the border, we saw one specific nationality um, coming to the border, and those were Haitians. In this example, uh, you know, we've seen multicultural, multinational caravans in the past, based upon other. Um, types of policy decisions made by other administrations. But in this particular case, the Biden administration had specifically said that they were not going to be deporting Haitians. Um, and so Haitians crushed the border. Uh, so that was a direct response. And then there was some backtracking on that, which led to the backlog of people standing there thinking they were going to be able to enter illegally. And ultimately, some of them made the decision to take matters in their own hands and cross illegally. Um, but the people who are not crossing are the ones who I'm concerned about on the humanitarian crisis issue and that are there right now. So, yeah, you are right um, that uh, that this seems to be something that does. Wait, hold, 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 hold on. Can you say those words again with the caveat of uh, you are right that this does plague every administration? But you can point to the direct policy this time, the decision that was made by the Biden administration that led to this one specifically. Yeah. Okay. So that's my point. Well, so it's interesting that this this comes, I mean, well, I guess I should should further flesh this out because the immigration issue is one that's not going away. And for the longest time, I was of, I was of the mind that the issue kept coming up um because it's 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 such a wedge issue for the right. Uh Democrats kept, Democrats kept pushing immigration as a way to sort of divide the right because there are republicans who support immigration reform going back remember the the stuff in 2007 when they they kept saying no amnesty no amnesty uh, and that got uh chambliss and and isaacson to back off the the immigration reform push then it happened again in what 2013 i think um and there for the longest time democrats pushed the issue but i never i was one of the people who didn't think they were very serious about it because while it's a wedge issue for conservatives and Republicans, uh, big labor does not want immigration reform. They say they do, but they don't. Not really. It's a wedge issue on the left, too, right? Right. But it's it's in, it's increasingly be, not becoming a wedge issue because I think it's there's we always talk about messaging bills like HR one is a good example of this. HR one is, <clears throat> for all intents and purposes, a messaging bill. It was never meant to become law. But yeah. you you do something and you say something enough where you start to actually believe it, and you start to actually try to put like seriously push it. Uh, where I think you know because Bernie Sanders said this back during the presidential race that like I don't support open borders. That's a Koch brothers position, referencing you know David Koch's <laughs> run for the Libertarian Party vice president. Mm -hmm. well, he was the Libertarian Party's vice presidential nominee in 1980, 
And that's right. been a longstanding Libertarian Party position of, you know, essentially open borders. Uh, but it, you have someone like Bernie Sanders who says that, basically acknowledging to the left that labor unions don't like it. And I don't know. It's just really, it's really interesting that we're, we're now entering this phase where, I don't know, it's like no, nobody, nobody realizes that or talks about that anymore. It's, it's yeah. just Republicans are racist. And I certainly do think that Republicans have a prejudice towards uh, immigrants who come from certain countries. That's just my opinion, Scott. Yeah, well, I, I mean, you're looking at two Republicans that don't fit that mold. So it's a generalization. I'm not being yeah. specific to you too. I think, yeah, but I, I I can't help but if I I proudly carry the 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 moniker Republican, I can't help but chafe a little bit when somebody makes a generalization like Scott, that. we all have our faults. It's okay. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep, trust me, I realize that too. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. It just seems it just seems uh I, don't know, I just remember the days when, of Republicans when it became, we just don't like illegal immigration, but now there's the party's increasingly, uh, we don't want any more immigration. And yeah. that's, that's frustrating to me. We don't have to spend well, a lot of time. Certainly, this, I mean, it, look, it, it was the powerful factor in the rise of Trump, uh, the perception that the border was in chaos and Trump, uh, you know, I mean, look, it, he said things that really hard to argue with and that, you know, by saying, if there's not a border, then we don't have a country. Uh, so, uh, and that that played to a lot of people's uh, uh, thoughts and brought you know it, it's definitely a key issue for his most ardent supporters. And that's funny. He hasn't. Um, I, well, I did watch. Uh, I, you know, since so y'all don't have to, I watched all of his rally in uh, in Georgia. I went went back and watched the video and. There were references, you know, he was back to saying some of the same things about how we need to build a wall. And um, he didn't say Mexico would pay for it this time. And maybe maybe Haiti will pay for it now. But, he, you know, he, he was back to that kind of rhetoric because now the issue is back out there uh, because of this this uh, humanitarian crisis that Scott referenced that's taken place at the border now. So, I mean, it's in you, you would think politically it's in Democrats best interest to take care of this issue and put this issue to bed so that uh, it doesn't help fuel uh, the rise of Trump again in 2024 or aid aid Republicans in uh, the uh, the midterm elections next year. Yeah, well, well I guess uh, speaking That's of part elections, of why Kemp was down there, right? Yeah, well, <laughs> That's exactly. Speaking, why. speaking <laughs> of elections, I mean, so we are facing we are on the cusp of a midterm election. Brian Kemp is 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 running for re-election. We don't know who his Democrat's going to be still. Here it is in October 2020, 2021, excuse me. Um, and over the weekend, or I guess not over the weekend, late last week, Thursday, the Cobb County Republican Party uh, passed a resolution censuring Brian Kemp uh, for, for not, uh, not living up to his promises uh, when he was running for governor. He promised to crack down on illegal immigration, uh, do all sorts of things. Um, and I am pretty convinced at this point that most Republicans, or at least, well, I shouldn't say most, many Republicans do not care about winning elections anymore. Tell me I'm wrong. Well, I think, I, I think you're, they, they will say that they want, let, let's take, let's limit ourselves to the kinds of Republicans who supported this resolution in Cobb County. In their minds, they're putting principle above all else. 
but you're right. I mean, as far as is this a winning issue for Republicans to be censuring their own governor? Uh, no, <laughs> it's not. So, uh, you know, you started out by saying most and then you backtracked and said many. You know, I don't know how big the many number is. I, um, Maybe, well, I can, so I'm sure I, some could have been more appropriate. Well, I mean, just yeah, there are some. Right. Um, and I believe that the some think that they're most. Uh, yeah. I, I think that they believe that they do make up the majority, but and that they're speaking to when they pass these kind of resolutions. I, you know, at my county convention, they attempted to do this. I, I, me and others were able to successfully block it. It wasn't on this issue. It was just a general condemnation of Kemp uh, for, you know, failing to uh, ensure the reelection of Donald Trump somehow. But um, they, they passed one at the district convention. Uh, that was just a month later. So, yeah, and yeah, and they they absolutely think, to Scott's point, that they are speaking to the vast majority of Georgians, that they're showing leadership, that the public is going to rise up and applaud these sorts of things. Sorry, Scott, I interrupted you. No, the that's exactly right. I mean, you've, you've, you added detail into the bones with the argument I was making there, but we can point to specific examples of pushback against Cobb County from organized Republicans to show that it that there there is not a unified message here. Cobb County Republican Party may feel this way, but the former chairman of that county uh, party, Jason Shepard, who recently ran for the statewide GOP chair and did not make it, he, uh, he very publicly resigned from the Cobb County GOP. He, he spoke out against it. He said it was procedurally in error. He pointed to Robert's Rules of Order saying you cannot discipline uh, um, somebody who is not a, a direct member of your organization. In this case, you know, uh, while Brian Kemp is a Republican, he's not a Cobb County Republican specifically. He's a, he's a Georgia Republican. And therefore, they had no authority or jurisdiction to issue a censure. Uh, that was his point. And, it's, you know, if you're into Robert's Rules of Order, you can probably argue those finer points. However, he used evidence that there are, we are not united in our contempt or, or wishing to see Brian Kemp held accountable by the party in this example, that it's not the party's job, frankly, to be holding uh, individual officers for office accountable. That's up to the voters. I mean, the, the party structure is there to get Republicans elected. Now, if that last sentence annoyed you, that's what your purpose is if you're an activist in the Republican Party, is to get Republicans elected once they're nominated. There are other people, we'll, we talk about, segue into the next topic, where they think that the existence of the party is to hold people accountable to some principle that's only defined by them. Well, let me, let's, I want to, there's a couple other things, because I want to read part of what Jason, and I think we all know Jason. Yes. And he's a good guy. Uh, but, but I think uh, if I could make one quick point, Jason, Jason Shepard, just so that people don't think if they don't know him, that he's some sort of rhino, you know, moderate squish. When Jason ran for state party chairman, he was running as a trying to be more pro Trump than David Schaefer was and even accepted the endorsement of Miss uh, Kraken. Uh, Kraken, what yeah. her name, uh, Sidney Powell. Yeah. Uh, so no, he, this is not a guy who was, uh, you know, one of these you know, rhino moderate squishes like me, he was, this is a guy who has fully embraced Trump. Yeah. And, and so part of Jason, what Jason told the Marietta Daily Journal, uh, 
for his his resignation, he said part of it's just a complete lack of understanding of our system of government, which as Republicans, we're the ones who constantly say that we understand how government works. But now we're censuring our elected officials for thing, things they cannot do. And I'm not going to be a for, part of an organization that does that. And so I, there's there's two things I want to unpack there. The first one is is the failure of understanding how government works. Uh, for years, I stopped listening to talk radio about 10 years ago. I haven't watched cable news in six or seven years, except for extraordinary events. Uh, I'll turn it on during like an extraordinary event or something. Like January 6th. January 6th, uh, the killing of the the, the Cuds Force uh, uh, leader last year. I, I watched some during that. Uh, <clears throat> I remember hearing, like I remember listening to Sean Hannity like on my ride home from work, you know, 2005, 2006, something like that. And he would talk about low information voters or Neil Bohr, maybe it was Neil Bohr, who talked about low information voters. And I am not saying that, I'm not saying that either side is worse than the other, but Republicans have really succumbed to that now, where they are quickly, not, I shouldn't say, but this is another generalization, Scott, I'm sorry. Uh, but where 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 they are, by and large, and this is subjective because I see it on my Facebook page, posting things that are like blatantly not true, and and saying it's saying it's it's true to try to create this narrative or be part of this narrative of of alternative facts or whatever it is. I don't know. I mean, it's 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 just I don't know. Like I remember hearing like back when Trump got impeached the first time, people were saying, well, if he's impeached. That means he can run for another, like a third term. It's like, no, no, it doesn't. The, the Constitution doesn't work that way, yeah. uh, you know. But I mean, that's the that's the kind of stuff I was hearing. It's just like, like read the Constitution. The Constitution is pretty clear on this. You can serve two terms, a maximum of ten years. That's it. Yeah. Um, there were MAGA scholars, you know, MAGA scholars who were putting that notion out there, just like they were that. So you, you heard know, it too. I was. I'm not the oh, only yeah. one who heard. Oh that. yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. okay. As yeah, a, I mean, a point, point to the law in U.S. code or the Constitution that allows that, and right, and nothing supersedes the Constitution, right? At least, and, at least a theory. Uh, the only thing I'll point out is I'm glad you said generalization, uh, and that, that might be your perspective based on social media. And I couldn't argue with the, how you got there. However, you point to people like we're we're in the middle of a conversation about a guy who just resigned. Uh, a, a position within a county party because of the stance that they took and is widely regarded as a very solid conservative activist leader in Republican activist circles. So I don't know, you know, I, I just, I don't want to fall into this trap that we see with social media creating the narrative, sure. right? You know, just because it's trending on Twitter doesn't mean it's important. And just because somebody says that the earth is flat doesn't make it true. And it doesn't mean that the majority of, of human beings believe that or even close. You could say, in some cases, many people believe the earth is flat. Yes, some people do. And in, in many, you know, depending on how you define many, it doesn't make it true and it doesn't make it uh, widely acceptable. Um, and, and that's what I think, you know, the point of adding this to the agenda for this for this podcast was to talk about Jason and his reaction. Yeah. And then. Um, you know, to talk about the back and forth that we're seeing, the debate that's happening now within the party and and explore that a little more. Well, the other the other the other the other thing that I do think is is worth is worth discussing, discussing, although Brian Kemp went to the border, there is very little 
that a governor can do to address federal immigration policy. Correct. All things considered, Georgia already However, has Georgia right. already has a very aggressive immigration law that was passed and signed into law under Governor Governor Deal in like what 2011, 2012. Well, uh, yep. so so that's that's an Arizona style law. It's already been, it's already been addressed. It's already been done. I don't know what else Brian Kemp can do. Well, I think what you see Brian Kemp doing is raising awareness and visibility of the issue, which is what a governor can do. You have a bully pulpit in which you can draw attention to issues and that's what he's doing. Sure. You know, he can, you know, the, the, our, our system of government is set up so that the federal government serves the interests of the states. And as mm -hmm. governor of a state in this union, he is trying to get the attention of the federal government to say, we need you to start dealing with this. Mm -hmm. So, and I think, the, I think too, I mean, I, I don't know what all will come out of these discussions that these governors are having, but Governor Abbott of Texas has made it clear that he intends to, if, uh, you know, in his words, if Joe Biden won't protect the border, then I will. And I, I suspect that part of the conversation that's going on there is governors like Kemp saying, how can we help? And maybe that includes sending Georgia National Guard there to assist. You know, I don't know. We'll see what comes of it. But uh, and yeah, I, I actually I think that's a great idea is if, if the federal government is going to fail to do something, uh, then states should and it, it, it should be flipped. This should be reversed. States should be taking the lead on all sorts of issues. And let the federal government react as a you know uh, fall behind and not take the lead on so much stuff. So one of the things, so the Cobb County Young Republicans, they they condemned the Cobb County Republican Party's uh, uh, censure. Uh, I think the Georgia Young Republicans did as well, Scott, if I recall correctly. So this is what happens, right? So this is sort of our next sub subtopics all wrapped up into one because it's all related. The Cobb YRs, uh, which is one of the more active, longer standing young Republican, when we say YR, we mean young Republican chapters, it's official organization. No, young Republican is not an oxymoron. There are young people who are Republicans, <laughs> and they organize and they get together and they drink beer and they talk politics. It's awesome. It's as long as like they're over 21. Yeah, well, yes. Uh, we also have the teenage Republicans, which is also not an oxymoron. There are teenage Republicans for those who don't like to drink. However, that being said, when they're of age, they get together in pubs, like our founding fathers did they knock back a pint and they talk about how bad the biden administration is and how awesome governor kemp is apparently because they had a very negative reaction to mm -hmm. the cobb county gop trying to censure governor kemp they actually condemned the action publicly they issued a press uh, a release and made public statements posted all over their social media which is not something we saw from our own state party leadership but the yrs took it upon themselves to do this <laughs> Yeah, uh, that, reading, for, reading from the statement, Governor Kemp is one of the greatest governors our state has had. He has championed and signed some of the most conservative legislation, including the heartbeat bill, which, he's, which he is continuing to fight for in court today. Governor Kemp kept our state open so business owners and hardworking Georgians could provide for their family, families. The governor and first lady have worked tirelessly towards the end of human trafficking while fighting for the rights of victims. Their leadership has kept us number one, the, the, kept us the number one state to do business eight years in a row. It's clear they deeply care about each citizen in the state, and I'm proud to support them. And that's from Brittany Ellison, the right. political director of the Cobb County YRs. And so we saw that reaction met with uh, the reaction of one Alex Johnson over the weekend, sent an email to his, his um, widely dispersed email list uh, uh, towards Republican activists. 
I we, never we should we should explain who Alex Johnson is for Go those ahead. who aren't. I've been talking a lot, Buzz. You you, you probably would be more diplomatic in your description. <laughs> so Alex Johnson has run for state party chairman several times. He's an activist. At at one point in time, he lived in DeKalb County. I'm, he may still live there. I'm not sure. Uh, but he is presently the chairman of an organization called the Georgia Republican Assembly, which bills itself as the Republican wing of the Republican Party. And it's a, it's a national organization. This is the Georgia chapter. Uh, the, and uh, they, they essentially are uh, a folks who are a lot like uh, like Alex Johnson, have a similar view, which I think Scott will explain uh, kind of where their worldview on on stuff. But uh, the second vice chair of the state party, Brant Frost, is a, a, a one of one of the officers. Uh, so they are they are integ integrally entwined uh, with the Republican Party and attempting to uh, pull the party in the direction that they want it to go. Yeah, which is uh, a, a direction where they believe that they are the only ones who have principles. They, they are the only ones who actually are Republicans. The rest of us are rhinos, if you're not a member of their organization. And that the purpose of the party is to hold elected Republicans accountable for things that they think are right or wrong. Right. So they become the judge, the, the judge and jury on whether or not a Republican has maintained the Republican credentials while they're in office. The problem with that is that they are sort of extreme in their views and they don't represent the, the electorate, the Republican electorate as a whole. The, they don't even they don't even represent the Republican Party as a whole, which is why they have their own organization. They don't even have a majority. Otherwise, there would be no need for a GRA. So they're a minority within the minority, and they want to amplify their voice. They actually, their response, Alex wrote this email where he said that uh, the people who are speaking out now asking for, uh, condemning the actions of the state party, basically, for- the Cobb County Party. Yeah. The, well, the Cobb County Party and the state party. Yeah. Because uh, he, he talked about how there are Republicans who, in his words, want to wipe away the memory of Trump and that they're being selfish. Well, that wasn't the case at all. The criticism that came after the after the uh, the Trump rally down in Perry had nothing to do with trying to erase Trump. It had to do with reacting to what Trump said. Right. We had a lot of people. I mean, I mean, a lot of people who were very upset when Donald Trump said that we'd be better off under Stacey Abrams. I, I, I could show you the text messages that I received, and I have showed you some of them privately without naming anybody about right. with the, some of the stuff that I have received after I wrote the article saying, I don't need somebody from out of state telling me that I need Stacey Abrams over Brian Kemp. And that mentality um, is much more widely accepted than what Alex Johnson's trying to push. But he yeah. actually used the words that the people who are pushing back now want a, a civil war within the Republican Party. Well, that's what Alex Johnson's been trying to accomplish for years. Yeah. You know, whether or not he, he, he has stated that as his goal is irrelevant. It's been his goal based yes. upon the natural outcome of the actions that he has taken over the years. This is exactly what you wanted, Mr. Johnson. Congratulations, <laughs> you finally got it. And now you're trying to point fingers of blame at everybody else. Well, let me tell you something. Brian Kemp is going to be the nominee for the Republican Party for governor of Georgia. He's going to secure that nomination with ease and you better be on board or otherwise I'm going to be out there with a big old picture of a rhino marching around in front of wherever your <laughs> office is because somebody needs to just, we did a course correction here where 
These yeah. people are allowed to have a microphone and a, and a soapbox through social media and through whatever other means, and they don't represent the party at, at, in the broader sense. The people who show up to these party meetings, you have to understand, I am really glad you're here, right? I'm so excited that you are engaged and we have volunteers, but there are thousands of other people in ratio compared to you that pull a Republican ticket who don't believe exactly the way that you do. When I was elected in office, I had 25,000 people roughly that I was trying to get to vote for me every single time, not 10. And about 10 people in my district belong to the GRA. I am not going to kowtow to 10 and sacrifice the interests of the other 24,990. It's not yeah. going to happen. I have to govern in a way that is representative of the entire community that I represent, not just a handful of really noisy people. And that's what you have to understand. At the end of the day, the party does not exist to punish me. It, it, it exists so that we can have a a co-equal relationship and trying to advance Republican principles. And those principles are defined not by the people who show up on Saturday morning, and I'm sorry, that it's not. It's by the people who show up in the voting booth every election. So and look, this is, go ahead, Jason. Well, I was gonna say, so just, I mean, like, it's, it's like looking at this email, it, this is a grift. You have, like, please, please, <laughs> As someone who's worked in center-right politics professionally for 10 years, I have developed a keen eye on what is and what is not a grift. This is a grift. And Alex Johnson, because I remember five, well, not maybe not five years ago, but like several years ago, he was Mr. sort of Ron Paul Republican. Oh, yeah. And yeah, and like, and he's now shifted to being a Trump Republican. You look at his email, like one of the things in here, in here is like, you know, um, he, one of the it's big red, you know, underline and italics. Sadly, unless you act to point out their hypocrisy and support the principal activists, they will win. You must make sure your friends are aware of this and that they get involved. One thing to do is apply to join his group to be organized locally. It's a grift. Like that's that's a grift. Like, and I've never seen someone fight so hard to become part of the establishment he loathes so much. Like, just shut up like you like you have a right to do what you want to do like i and keep doing it yeah i mean sure whatever like if you want to but like i'm going to be sitting here pointing out to people that what you're doing is solely for your own ego and that's it that's it like you don't you I, i'm not questioning whether you care you very well you very well might care but at the end of the day you're doing this you're doing this to get attention and it's a grift so i mean this whole debate uh, that that Scott hit upon and that you've talked about too, Jason, that what's the job of the party? Is the job of the party to hold uh, elected officials' feet to the fire uh, or or to get Repub get you know people elected? I think you know that's that, that debate's been around a long time. I'm, I remember ten years ago or so, uh, legislators receiving letters from their local county party instructing them that uh, as they, as, you know, they were to provide detailed reports of all the activities of the legislature on a weekly basis and report it to the and, and how they voted on each one and why uh, to their county, their uh, county Republican Party. I don't know a single legislator who bothered to do that. Uh, well, you had there, certain been, legislators tweet every vote 
or yeah there are yeah they yeah. do that of their own they do right. they don't do that under the instruction right uh, in compliance with the demand from their local republican party they do right. that on their own um i i you know there there have been other things like that there's been a lot of people who've said well if some if somebody doesn't agree with every single item in the republican party platform they should be expelled from the party and they should not be elected to office well, well, Trump never would have got elected in the first place if that were if if he held to that standard. And neither, but you didn't my, even have a what party I've always, platform in his second in his second uh, yeah and is reelected. You know, he didn't even bother with having a, a platform. Right, but I think all of these debates really. I, I think you know when I was a county party leader, my answer to all these sorts of things was, we have a primary system. The people whose job it is to enforce the Republican platform. Uh, to hold the uh, uh, the feet to the fire of of the elected officials are the voters, and they are the ones who will they will decide whether the you know candidate X or politician Y uh, is is sufficiently Republican for their tastes. And our job, and that's why I, I you know I completely agree with Scott. The job of the Republican Party. I thought this when I was a county party chairman. Our job was to let the voters pick the nominee and then we work like heck to get them elected. And I held my nose and fought for people I didn't, you know, I wouldn't who weren't my preferred choices many a time. But that's the, that's what you do when you're if you're going to have a a broad party, a coalition party like the Republican Party and the Democratic Party is, they're coalitions of all sorts of people with all different viewpoints. If you're going to have that coalition party, well then you have to accept whoever the voters pick and you don't have to like it and you can take your ball and go home if you want to but uh that you know you you can't stand up and say well you must do it my way or the highway because that right, right. you're not part of a coalition if and look you know somehow i'm on debbie dooley's emails again she's blocked me on all social media but somehow i started getting her emails again and she says she's in this vein you know, saying I Trump, everything Trump said at that rally was a okay, and that she will never ever vote for Brian Kemp under any circumstance. Rhino. Well, yeah, that's then you're not part of a party, right? You're and and we we've seen. Listen, for those who don't know who Debbie Dooley is, she claims to be one of the founders of the Tea Party movement here in Georgia and therefore nationally. And uh, but since then, she's gone off the rails in many different ways, primarily um, by taking on this uh, solar energy green Al Gore slash effort um, yeah. to end the nuclear green, power. Green tea. Green, yeah, the the green, green tea, tea party. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, very liberal motion, uh, environmentalist uh, type of anti-Republican organization that she has started. And she, she recently supported a Democrat who ran for PSC against a sitting Republican yeah. who served, was sitting on the, the Public Service Commission. So she has no credentials or, or she has no ground to stand on and I, calling other look, people rhinos at all. Yeah, I don't know how much influence she has in Republican circles None. anymore. However, she was on TV as Eleven Alive was interviewing Jason Shepard to get his take on things. Sure. Who did they call? Debbie Dooley. Of course, because so they know she she's is on television all the time. Right. But the, 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 you know, the putting herself out there as a leader. How much influence does she have? And I, I can point demonstrably and tell you none, because in that email that you mentioned that went out over the weekend, she names me in the article I posted on Peach Pundit called More Thoughts on Perry specifically, and she quoted from it, and then she condemned other people for sharing it who are Republican activists. Now, if nobody seems any, scared, <laughs> if, if anybody had, if, if, if I just got one email or phone call 
or text telling me that that they heard from Debbie Dooley and I was wrong, then I would tell you about it. But I received zero. The yeah. only thing I received after she sent her emails were attaboys and thank yous. And I, I don't know what she's talking about. I read the article and it was really good. Or you express my thoughts exactly how I'm thinking. There were great, there were dozens and dozens, more than 10, more than 20, more than 30 of types of those responses that I got through various means, the email or phone calls or text. Yeah. It, the, the reaction was overwhelmingly positive to what I wrote. Yeah. So, so I can tell you that if she thinks that her emails are reaching home with anybody, they're not because no. the type of person that she used to have influence with, I guarantee you, I would have heard from them. That, yeah, that, 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 go ahead, Scott. I'm sorry. But I didn't. That's it. That, that first tea party that they had February, 2009, I was actually there. Me too. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. And I went on Fox news later that day to, uh, you were wearing a capitalist shirt. I was enjoy capitalism. Yeah, uh, with like I remember. Cooking. Yeah, <laughs> I also weighed like 350 pounds at the time too. So you did. Mm -hmm. I was I was yep. a big fella. Uh, <laughs> I was a, I was a hoss, as they would say. Um, Not of a man. Yeah, uh, but no, I mean, like the there are three people who were involved in that rally, who have since become three of the most the most self serving. Uh, charlatans who I've ever met, and I'm not going to. I mean, we're talking about one of them. Uh, but the other two, I'm not going to name, uh, but if they watch this, I certainly hope they know I'm talking about them. They do. Uh, you don't have but, to name them. We know who you're talking about too. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, I, it became a, it became a money-making scheme. That's all. It became yeah. an attention and money-making scheme. And that's why I got the hell out of it within like a month yeah. after. And it's, it's a real shame because I mean, you, I mean, look, I, I think you see this in, in movements that spring up people come out of the woodwork to attach themselves to it and yeah, make money off of it and grift off of it. And that, that certainly happened to the tea party, but it, and it's straight away. I mean, if, if it had stuck to what its original stated purposes were, which were to attempt to, and you have to remember what was going on at that time, we were heading into a recession and the answer from government from George Bush and from Barack Obama was to spend insane amounts of money, which pale in comparison to what we're doing now what Trump and Biden have done. But um, I think we would have been a lot better off if they had stuck true to that and said, this is what we're going to do. They could have built a, a broad bipartisan movement that could have actually had some real, uh, made, perhaps made some structural change to the way Washington goes about his, his fiscal business. I mean, there's no such, I mean, we had, we got some structural change in August of 2011 with the passage of the, the budget control act, but that got, dismantled every yeah. couple of years they would they would they had set spending caps remember you yeah. remember this um and this kind of feeds into our next topic a little bit uh but amazing how that works uh so good segue good great segue uh so they it, it's it's really it, it's really weird how this all played out so congress so the americans elect a republican house in 2010 mm -hmm. and then 2011 you have Speaker John Boehner, you have a debate over the debt ceiling, much like you have now, uh, and you have Boehner who, who starts negotiating behind the scenes with Barack Obama for, for what they call the grand bargain, basically a number of spending cuts and revenue enhancements, that all falls apart, and they get instead the, bipart the, the, the uh, Budget Control Act, which was a bipartisan vote. This had a, 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 an increase in the debt ceiling or a suspension of the debt ceiling, I should say. Uh, and cut uh, cuts to discretionary spending, right? Uh, but that was in lieu of 
this budget commission that was supposed to come up with spending cuts that, and if they didn't get those, there would be an automatic sequester. So they didn't get those spending cuts agreed to in that commission. So these, these automatic cuts kicked in. Cut Se about sequestration, right? Wasn't that the term sequestration? Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah, sequestration. So you had $1.2 trillion in cuts that were supposed to take place over 10 years. Uh, but the thing is, starting just months after, well, I guess it was, I guess it started at the beginning of 2013, you had automatic spending cuts coming up and you had tax, you had the Bush tax cuts were about to expire. Right. So they, they cut a deal to, to stave off some of the spending cuts and then to also basically raise taxes on people making $400,000 or more. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, and then every couple of years they did it again. In, so they did it again in 15, they did it again in 17, uh, which was the biggest uh, increase in, in non-defense or excuse me, in, in discretionary spending. Uh, and they did it again in, I think 19. Mm -hmm. And they kept, they kept, you know, go, they just kept getting rid of the spending cuts and, and pushing them off. And, right. and that's the, and that's the thing, like, cause we got to think about this from uh, the budgetary perspective is that there are basically four buckets of federal spending. There's mandatory spending, which is entitlements as social security, Medicare, Medicaid, uh, federal health benefits for government workers, military benefits, things like that. There's discre defense discretionary spending, which funds the, the defense department and our wars and things like that. There is non-defense discretionary spending, and then there's interest on the debt. Mm -hmm. So mandatory spending is the biggest bucket. It's about 60 to 65% of all federal spending, depending on the year. Um, and then I think interest on the debt's like 8 to 10%, depending on the year. Everything else is discretionary spending. It's about 30% of all federal spending, something like that. Right. So that's that's what we argue about. Every time there's a they're talking about appropriations, right. the possibility of a government shutdown, we're talking about 35, 30 to 35% of all federal spending in right. any given year. Um, and, and, that's, is, and that's part of why guys like Paul Ryan were saying we, we, we have to address entitlement spending. Right. And uh, he had, I mean, he worked incredibly hard, had all sorts of things. Now, you know, these days he's a pariah and whatnot, but right. uh, he was right. Yeah, he, no, he was. <laughs> I mean, and so- Speaking of which, I actually found going through some old photos the other day a picture of uh, of me uh, in a meeting with Paul Ryan. I oh. posted it. I posted it on Instagram. He was a, such a nice guy. Uh, yeah. still, still is such a nice guy. Uh, should have listened to him. We all should have listened to him. But that brings me to to where we're at right now, because government funding has been taken care of. That's done. So they're they're funded. They well they funded the government government until like early December. Mm -hmm. So they're going to do probably an omnibus or another continuing resolution come December. Again, 30% of the federal government, that's what we're talking about. Right. What's going on right now is this debate over the debt limit. Mm -hmm. The debt limit, uh, so Congress has been operating under the suspension of the debt limit since, I don't know, I want to say like 2011, 2013, something like that, where basically there's, for those of you who don't know, there's a statutory amount of how much the federal government can borrow. It's actually set in statute, but Congress has suspended it, which basically is a blank check to the <laughs> treasury to borrow. Right. Uh, and so the last budget agreement that passed, they suspended the debt limit again until July 31st of 2021. So that we have, we have shot through that window. Right. And what the treasury has been doing to pay our debts is, is using what we call extraordinary measures, which basically means 
borrowing against trust funds that exist that government has control over. So that's federal and, and the retirement benefits. Yeah. That's social security. Sounds like a that's, great plan. And that's a number of other things to try to get us through this, this time until ex extraordinary measures are exhausted. And they will be exhausted on Monday, October 18th. Mm -hmm. For those of you who don't follow the congressional schedule, the House of Representatives is out of session right now until Tuesday, October 19th. Oh, crap. <laughs> they're they're going to come back. They're going to have to come back. Because... <laughs> So because McConnell has has routinely said he's been saying since the summer that this was going to come up and that Republicans were not going to vote with Democrats to suspend the debt, the debt limit. That he has been say, he's been saying that for months and the Senate has tried at least two times I'm aware of maybe three. So, to... but, Jason, can I ask, a, this is a good time, I think, to ask a yeah. question. And my question is, Republicans have been voting to extend the debt limit when Trump was president, right? So what's different now? What's different now is that you have Democrats who have, we have spent about $5 trillion, almost $6 trillion in response to COVID-19. Mm -hmm. uh, and that includes the, 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 the $1.9 trillion bill they passed back in February. Mm -hmm. So Democrats are currently trying to ram through a, another reconciliation bill to, that has a a top end price tag of three and a half trillion dollars being done through budget reconciliation. Buzz and I went through this on a podcast you weren't on yeah. a couple months ago. Yep. Um, and I won't go back through that whole process again because it's really I don't I just just from a political standpoint, I'm, what, I'm getting changed. There. So 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 the McConnell's basically saying Republicans are not going to sign off on because in order if we if we have to vote for this, if we vote for this, that means we're basically approving or saying we agree with what Democrats are doing. McConnell yeah. has a point there. So it's all about it, the three point five trillion dollar bill. Right. Right. So you're yep. you're 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 it's like it, McConnell views it as hypocritical to say that we don't support this, but we're going to vote to increase our credit card limit for you to buy it. Yeah. And, and that is an argument that I happen to agree with. I also think you have to increase the debt limit too, or I mean, yeah. I, I don't, I'm not on board with suspending it. I didn't like suspending it when they did it uh, in previous years, including when Trump was there. But if you don't increase the debt limit and, and the debt limit conversation is one that's, that's, it's just like reconciliation is really kind of difficult to explain because the treasury can prioritize payments. So we don't default on the payments that matter. Right. We could prioritize payments as revenue revenues come in. That's true. But if if the Treasury mishandles it or or if they prioritize wrongly and we default, it could affect our bond rating, which will ultimately affect our interest rates, which means federal spending goes up. Not only yeah. that, that the cost of borrowing for every single American goes up. Yeah. Uh, right. Because all that stuff's inextricably, inextricably linked. Um, yeah. so, so this not McConnell today uh, uh, said that. Uh, he was open to a short term, a small extension of the debt limit to do certain things so that the government doesn't default, uh, but not everything the Democrats want and that would enable them to pass the three point five trillion dollar bill. That's right? right. That's right. So McConnell, Democrats, so McConnell's been trying to get them to reopen the budget reconciliation process to do it through reconciliation. Democrats mm -hmm. don't want to do that because they would have to give a hard number rather than just suspending the debt limit. So what, right. what they are doing instead is McConnell, McConnell has basically said, given them another out because he realizes the importance of this. And he's, what he has said is we're open to a short-term increase uh, in the debt limit to get us through or get us through a two to some, to some point in December and where we'll have this conversation again. 
that is what McConnell's saying. Democrats have accepted that offer, at least so it seems. So we will probably have some action on a uh, debt limit increase, most likely not to suspension um, uh, in the short term. Um, maybe it is a suspension, I don't know, but um, that seems to be where we're heading. But at the same time, like we're gonna have to go through all this again here in just a couple months and uh, probably less than a couple months and the same with government yeah. spending uh, to get us through the rest of the fiscal year. So it's gonna be really, um, really interested, interesting to see what plays out. But the going back to the, the, the three and a half trillion dollars. So Democrats, that bill, we know right now, now at this point is not gonna be three and a half trillion dollars. Mm -hmm. Manchin has said he won't go higher than 1.5. Cinema, it seems that Democrats are doing everything they can to lose cinema. Yes, <laughs> including chasing her into a bathroom. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, mean, if she announced and, and, tomorrow that she's switching parties, I, I, I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, I, I don't think she will, I, but she won't. That would she be won't. less surprising than her coming out and saying she's suddenly in favor of the three point five trillion dollar bill. I, I mean, like I actually here's the thing. The funny thing about it is I actually think it's less likely that Manchin switches parties than Cinema, but mm -hmm. Cinema has the least to lose by doing it. Mm hmm. So, because I mean, and that's the thing, like John Gabriel, for those of you who don't know John Gabriel, he's, know John. From, he's from Arizona uh, and he, he had a really, uh, a really good piece at National Review talking about cinema and how Arizona is, is not a Republican or a Democratic state. It is contrarian. Mm -hmm. And that cinema, that like, that's why M uh, McCain had such a good reputation as being a maverick. And, and, and Barry Goldwater before him, right? I mean, Barry, Barry Goldwater, he, he, they seem to love these people are the same, by the way. Yeah. You know, if you were to line up cinema, Goldwater, and McCain side by side by side, I don't think you could find five things that each of them had in common. That's the, that's the, <laughs> right. really, that's the really funny thing about it, because uh, cinema is obviously has turned into a bit of a fiscal hawk. Um, she had, you know, she's, I mean, this is someone who was a Green Party activist 15 yes. years ago. Yes. Uh, but she's turned into a fiscal hawk and she knows her state and yep. she's, she's, she cares about bipartisanship. Good for her. McCain, yep. largely the same. He hated earmarks. He was a fiscal hawk. Uh, he was a, he was a contrarian on a lot. He supported campaign, campaign finance regulation. Mm -hmm. And we get to someone like Barry Goldwater because everybody talks about how, well, it's like you're a Reagan Republican, you're a Goldwater Republican, or you're a, a, a Trump Republican. No, no, no. There was the Goldwater Republican and Goldwater supported gay rights before long before it was a popular national opinion let alone yeah. a popular republican opinion and it's still not a popular republican opinion reagan remember, was a goldwater republican that's right and remember <laughs> and remember and remember Gold, goldwater is the person who when talking about gays in the military he said i don't care if you you are i don't care if you are straight i care if you shoot straight you know i mean <laughs> and, yeah. and, you know i mean well, and yeah, I mean that's so she's pretty interesting when it's all said when it's all said and done. Scott, I thought ahead. Biden had an interesting reaction when somebody asked, you know, because we've been told as Republicans that you know we're we're responsible for ending civility in politics and political discourse. Yeah. And <laughs> along come the people who chase this lady into a bathroom, a U.S. senator, while she's at home teaching a college class. They chase her into the bathroom, and the president of the United States is asked, Joe Biden, Mr. President. Is it appropriate what happened to Senator Cinema? Well, it's just part of the process. It happens to everybody, and he brushes it across, you know. And that's yeah. exactly the way he said it. I'm he not clarified every, everybody who doesn't have Secret Service protection. He said, right, right. It basically means have, him. Yeah, I mean, it does. Yeah, unless you're unless you're and, me and the happen. vice president. Yeah, that's it. But his reaction was so blasé and dismissive 
had had that been Trump supporters chasing her in right. there. Oh gosh. Could you imagine what his reaction would have been? Yeah. The hypocrisy is just stunning. That's all. Yeah. And 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 I, I don't I don't agree with Senator Sinema. I'm glad she's there and I'm glad she's holding the line uh on a, on this issue. But nobody should be treated that way. Nobody no. should be chased into a bathroom. That's well, not appropriate. Schumer, Schumer said it was something that happens. And it's like, I don't know, I, I, I know a lot of politicians and I don't ever recall any of them telling me stories about how they were chased into the bathroom by no. the bathroom by protesters. We did see, right, Ted Cruz was confronted. There was a, a you know, was it two summers ago? Uh, people were confronting people in uh, in restaurants as they were trying to eat dinner. McConnell got confronted. Ted Cruz. Uh, yeah. And then, I mean, there was a very scary, I mean, to me, the scariest video I recall seeing was uh, there was some sort of a event in Washington. Maybe it was uh, something to do with Supreme Court. A lot of prominent Republicans were there. Rand Paul and his wife come walking out and they are surrounded by this mob of people. I mean, I, I you know, especially that was, the, with, that was the RNC. They hosted it at the White House. Right? With, yeah. And especially in light of what happened to Rand Paul, where his neighbor, you know, I mean, almost almost killed him, honestly. Uh, hit him so hard that it, you know, it broke his, his broke lung his and so forth. Yeah. Uh, you know, you could just, yeah, that was a very, very scary moment. And so, yeah, the, I, think, I mean, I, th I think it, I think it broke his ribs and punctured a lung. Yes. Yeah. And he was yeah. on his, yeah, he was on his back. But, and they, but you talk about those protesters because they were, they were following Senator Paul and his wife, Kelly. Right. Who is the sweetest person in the world. Right. But they were, they were following because I think we, I know Scott and I have met uh, Senator Paul. I don't know if you've ever met Kelly, but Kelly's just so nice. Um, so but they were leaving the, the White House after Trump, Trump's acceptance speech uh, for the nomination. And they were surrounded by people who were calling, you know, say her name, say her name, referring to Breonna Taylor. And it's like, dude literally introduced a bill called yeah. the, the, the yeah. Breonna, you know, the, it was to end no knock raids. And it was named after Breonna Taylor. Right. Yep. Right. Yep. And this goes to the whole misperception of Republicans all the time type of thing. Here you have a Republican who who tried to lead on the issue, introduce legislation on the issue that you are protesting and trying to scream and yell at him in public for to say yeah. that he needs to go do that. And he's already done it because people have a misperception of what Republicans are and what they stand for and whether or not they stand on principles or whatever. Well, here you, here's the most principled guy and you're attacking him for something that he agrees with you on. Yeah, and, and, and this is the, the last thing I want to say about this whole thing is that again, I was told that Trump needs to get out of office in order for us to restore civility in our political discourse. And the president <laughs> of the United States, the current sitting president of the United States, looked into the to a reporter's eyes and said, ah, happens to everybody. Yeah. It's part of the process. Talk about busting norms. It's not, not acceptable. Bu that's busting norms right this there. Stuff, this stuff backfires. I mean, and like, mm -hmm. and I get the, I know Democrats have a sense of urgency because all things taken into consideration, Republicans are likely to take back the House. You know, I mean, it, going into January 2023. So they're feeling rushed to try to get this stuff through. And I, like I said, I get it. But at the same time, like going up to or have these activists who who are who want to see this agenda pass, going up and threatening Democratic politicians or even Republican politicians, yeah. doesn't matter. Anybody. It, it's not going to push them into a, a place no. of supporting you. They're not. No, that's, they're no. like because ultimately, like. You run it. You run a progressive against cinema, and I guarantee you that progressive will lose in Arizona. Yeah, you you have in order to win in Arizona, you have to have someone like cinema or Mark Kelly. And, and look, and mansions mansions probably equally unbeatable in in West Virginia. And there were people who kayaked up to his houseboat 
uh, to surround it. And he, he actually spoke with them and engaged with them, but yeah, it's, it's not, it's not the way to go about things. No, it's, it's right. certain, it's certainly not, right. but the, go ahead, just, Scott. you just don't need to do that. And it doesn't matter what party the person is from, whether it's a Democrat like Senator Cinema or a Senator Manchin or a Senator Bram Paul, who is of the Republican Party. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter. Stop doing this, this garbage. It's, it, and that's exactly what it is. It's garbage. Yeah. So but the short of it is the long and short of it is I can't wait for the next congressional budget office uh, 10 year uh, budget uh, outlook to come out so I can look through the numbers because we are so beyond screwed right now. Yes. <laughs> so uh, we're already at 100% debt to GDP ratio, and it's not going to yep. get better anytime soon. And people can go back and say, well, Bush tax or, or Trump tax cuts, Trump tax cuts. Uh, that was a one and a half trillion dollar deficit uh, that, that was provided for in that budget. Uh, it 2019 was a, in recent years, going back to the Great Recession uh, in 2007, 2008, 2019 was a success story. Do I think that Trump produced the best economy we've ever seen? No, I don't. Uh, I think the economy under Bill Clinton was pretty good and better than what we saw under Trump. That said, looking comparatively over the years that preceded it, going back to the Great Recession, it was a pretty good economic year. Sure. Um, and uh, I, I would certainly take that then over where we are right now. No uh, doubt. Uh, but, but so I think the Trump tax cuts, which, I mean, I, I hesitate to say that there should be called... Trump would have signed any bill that had a tax cut in it, but yeah, um, I don't think, and I don't think you can even complain about one and a half trillion, given that the budget that they or the bill that they want is three and a half trillion dollars. <laughs> right, like, and they and they and look, the one of those things like, is like, not the same number as the other. Right, and Bernie Sanders and and AOC consider the three point five a compromise because Bernie wanted six trillion. Which and, saying, and Joe saying, saying that say those words saying that this is a compromise <laughs> does not make it true. No. Right. Well, Joe Manchin says I, I was at zero and I compromised for getting to 1.5. <laughs> if I took, so I, I had to go, I went to Guitar Center today. If I go, if I took you guys with me and I said, so I see that, that, see that uh, $4,000 Fender Telecaster. You don't have to get me that one. Go get me the $3,000 Gibson 335. It's a compromise. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine your wife thinking, "Oh yeah, okay, we we compromised with a three thousand dollar, and that's uh, that's yeah. great for our budget." It's a load yeah. of horseshit. That's what that is. <laughs> well, that's that's who's in power right now. That's was and that's Washington math, right? I mean, that's yeah. that's Washington math for you. Yeah. So, uh, she who shall not be named has an opinion on Buckhead City. Uh, Buzz, I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna let you yeah. take this one. So I, I think um, it, it I think it points to a problem a, a problem that the Buckhead folks have. They have a lot of support. Uh, you know how much support they have within the area. We we've talked about this before. I've uh, a listener of this podcast uh, uh, claims that they have enormous support, and he may be right. Uh, we'll see. But uh, it doesn't. I don't think it helps them. She, she who now shall not be named is not. There are a lot of Republicans in Buckhead. They are not that brand of Republican. And her endorsement of this effort, I don't think, gains them one single vote. Uh, now, I, I don't Clearly, know. It's, it's an effort to bring attention to herself because she is yeah. self-serving. And, and I will name now her. She has, she has a primary don't. opponent. Uh, it's what seems to me to be a, you know, a, a successful businesswoman primary opponent. But that probably has that she's out there fighting crime. 
fighting so crime. I have, I, have, I have an amendment to make, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, Buzz. We'll go back to this in a, in a second. But on the previous segment, I just got a text message from someone who is watching live and says, uh, one point about the GOP tax cuts. This year, we have the highest tax revenues as a percentage of GDP since the 1960s. Yeah. Hey, man, that's the uh, that's Art Laffer, the uh, Laffer curve, uh, how, how you can cut taxes and increase, increase uh, revenue. Voodoo so. economics, right? Isn't that what Bush called it? <laughs> so I didn't mean to cut you Supply off. Supply side economics. Come on. I, I, didn't, mean, I didn't mean to <laughs> cut respect you off. To I didn't want to cut you off, Buzz, but, uh, but I, if I, I, I felt that was considering who it came so. from was a compelling piece yes. of information. No, so, that's a good, but, but uh, that, I mean, we don't have to belabor this point. I, I think, uh, you know, there, there were, uh, Bl Greg Bluestein of the AJC was, was tweeting about this, that he was receiving word from uh, insiders who were saying this is the kiss of death. Uh, upon our movement and uh, i don't know if it's that severe well if marjorie taylor green actually help. cared about the outcome she wouldn't have weighed in but it was an opportunity for her to look strong on crime yeah. and so she took it for herself yeah and that's what marjorie taylor green does yep she she tries to bring attention to herself to make herself look like that classic political fighter that she's tried to make herself out to be and um, look she, she, she may think it helps her in her district but i don't think her constituents in her district care about Buckhead either. Well, and why no, should they? It's just an they opportunity care about their say, district. It's all it's just an opportunity for to, to point to other Republicans say this is I'm willing to fight when others aren't. Yeah. And and it's an argument on the further her own campaign trail. It should obviously clearly she has to understand that there are people who look at her and 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 laugh within Republican circles here in Georgia. She has to understand that. And so yeah. at this point. So I think her getting involved in trying to to do this it had nothing to do with actually it passing. It had everything to do with her her and her ability to make arguments yeah. on the trail. And hey, look, she, she's not in the Georgia legislature. Who are the people who have to consider a bill? The bills that are being proposed. Uh, she has nothing to do with this. I, I, so I, I, another possibility here is that she sees something that she thinks is popular that might pass and wants to attach herself to it so she can claim credit. But right. the success for failure of this movement has nothing to do with right. uh, she who shall not be named <laughs> scott doesn't scott doesn't like my we got to find an acronym for that we don't want to use her acronym but we, we got to i'm just going to name her I, uh, i'm not I, you know I, i'm not going to give her that type of power no, so i like uh, i like not naming her <laughs> so uh one thing i so this came out of uh i saw this on twitter earlier this week or over the weekend maybe i don't remember which that the Department of Justice uh, is is getting involved in a lot of these school board fights over over mask mandates and so on. Uh, oh no, excuse me, not over mask. Well, some of it's been over mask mandates, but also over critical race theory. Uh, and they're going to be pushed alleged threats, alleged threats, things like that. And I've seen a lot of right wing reaction to it, uh, saying that this is uh, this is you know DOJ persecuting political enemies, going after uh, things they don't agree with. But some of these school board meetings that I have read news stories about or watched video of, these these some of the people who are who are who are speaking at these are borderline. Well, some of them are borderline. Most of them are crossing. Some of them are crossing the border. Not most, but some of them are crossing the border into threatening intimidation, mm -hmm. uh, so on. That is potentially potentially could be prosecuted. Uh, so. I don't know if either of you have seen this, but uh, oh yeah, well, I, we've seen it here in Cherokee County where people yeah. have been very passionate about the mask mandate and it's in critical race theory and other issues, and they're 
they're passionately engaged at every meeting. We recently had one meeting that got um, adjourned early because people were screaming and yelling uh, while other people were trying to speak. And uh, the, the interesting thing for me about that was uh, there was a time, another time in Cherokee County where in some fairly controversial things were happening. We had a school board member who had done some things that were illegal. She actually went to prison for. And uh, a couple of the members of the delegation, including myself, would sit in the back of the room and we would watch quietly. And one of the people would chastise us for not saying anything, for not getting rowdy, for not getting loud. That person now sits on the board of Cherokee County School <laughs> Board and was the one who called for an end of the meeting when uh, things got heated. <laughs> um, so the irony on that situation wasn't lost on me. But uh, there is a difference between being passionate and being loud and potentially even rowdy uh, as a crowd to let the people know, let the electeds know that you're not happy with what they're doing or their policy decisions. And there's a, that's completely different than threatening violence, which is what yeah. we've seen sometimes happen around the country. Now, again, it doesn't, you know, I, I haven't seen anybody threaten violence at Cherokee County School Board meetings. I watch them occasionally online when they're streaming. I used to attend every single one of them, but I don't anymore. Uh, there's, there's a little bit of an overreaction, I think. You know, I think here there was an article today that was posted. Uh, maybe it was the AJC where one of the Gwinnett School Board mem members was talking about, yeah, yeah, we want to be part of that. And the state school board was like, well, we haven't actually heard about any threats of violence in Georgia. Yeah. Um, from around around the state, there are people who are very passionate. Now, the 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 thing about DOJ is, are they going after the people who have crossed that line, or is it more general? Because people don't trust the government, and if they start cracking down on a few, it's going to look like they're cracking down on all of them because generalization is a dangerous thing, right, Jason? Well, let, <laughs> let me a, a couple of things about this. Um, yeah, we, we've Gwinnett has had these very passionate meetings. Uh, there was an incident back in May when a school board member said she was threatened. Uh, police looked into it and did not do anything, did not make any arrests at that school board meeting. They talked to people. Uh, the, the police diffused the situation and sent everybody home, which police often do, which is what I think what we want police doing. I don't think we want people, police arresting people, anybody who loses their temper. But uh, that was not good enough for our, our newly elected solicitor who, uh, you know, called a press conference the next morning with this school board member and uh, demanded and it claims to have launched an investigation into the conduct of the police. Now, that was mid-May. Here we are in uh, 1st of October. He has not announced the results of that investigation. So my, my guess is that he has concluded that the police acted properly and doesn't want to uh, show that he, he was politically grandstanding. But yeah, Jason, you're right. There are, there have been threats. There are threats. There, uh, there have been a lot of people who have, there have been people who have crossed the line at various meetings across the country and probably here in the state of Georgia as well. Uh, I, I would commend to you, all of you and everybody listening to this, to go to National Review. Andy McCarthy, former federal prosecutor, uh, who wrote an article today and it had some very interesting facts in it. If you remember, uh, in, in the early 90s, we had the attack on the first attack on the on the Twin Towers. Annie McCarthy was the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York who prosecuted the people who did that, including a man known as the Blind Sheikh, who was uh, the instigator of these things. He was a an imam who taught at a mosque. 
And uh, and oddly enough, Merrick Gartland, who is now the attorney general, was working in the Clinton Justice Department. And of course, Andy McCarthy had to go to the Clinton Justice Department to get approval to prosecute the blind shake. And according to his article, McCarthy's article, Merrick Gartland was overboard in making sure that uh, expressing that our First Amendment protects all sorts of things being said, especially at the federal level, federal law. Uh, there, there's, you know, it, he had to walk a very fine line about uh, prosecuting uh, the, the blind shake for things that he said. And so McCarthy makes the point that he's very puzzled by uh, Merrick Garland's uh, conduct now, saying that he's going to go after that they possibly will, not, they haven't announced what they're going to do, but convening all these departments of the Department of Justice to come together to look at these threats at school board, at school boards, because you know, according to McCarthy's uh, uh, view, there's no federal law being broken. Now, there may, it may be a, a, a violation of state law to say I'm going to punch the uh, punch my school board member in the nose. It may be or may not be. It depends on the state. But it's not a violation. According to McCarthy, it's not a violation of federal law. So what exactly is the federal government going to do? And we should point out that this is this is done by Mayor Gartland as a reaction to the National School Board Association uh, asking that these people be declared uh, domestic terrorists and that the Patriot Act be invoked to move against these people who uh, who they who are protesting at at school board meetings. So yeah, Scott, you mentioned that this might be an overreaction. I think it's a gross overreaction. Because any incidents that might happen, there have been people arrested at school board meetings. There have been scuffles out in the parking lots, etc. The letter from the National School Board Association mentioned one person who got arrested. One. Which so, part of the Patriot Act do they want to invoke? Because the most controversial, well, some of the most controversial provisions expired last year, like yeah. last, last March. Yeah. So we're coming up on, on almost two years of the Patriot Act, at least Section 215, the business records, lone wolf provision, those have all, all been yeah. expired. So. But I think uh, to me, you know, what, and this is part of what McCarthy is saying in his National Review piece. Okay, the there's the federal government's hands are uh, you know, what the actions that the federal government take are very limited in actually prosecuting people, unless they can you know uncover some massive organized nationwide scheme to go and and uh, and threaten school board members, which I doubt they will. The right. intent here is folks who are these are folks who are mad about mask mandates and and other things. And there's also been there's been a string. You can find these videos on the internet. There's been a string of moms who and uh, and we can trace this all back to the pandemic because parents are much more aware now of what's happening on a day to day basis in their schools than they ever were before because they had to watch these classes on Zoom. There have been parents who have found what they felt to be objectionable material, uh, even uh, you know sexually suggestive material in books that their middle schoolers and elementary kids checked out library. So they marched down to the school board and hold up the book and say, why is this book that has this passage being given to my 10 year old, you know? Uh, and I think those are, those are, and they look, some of these moms have been really mad. No Again, doubt about they, it. Well, clearly they never read the song of Solomon, but that's, <laughs> that's there. true. But, Scott, but go ahead. The, the, the thing here is it's not about what they have the authority or constitutional authority to do or whether they'd invest and arrest people. This is an intimidation game. Yeah. That's yeah. what this is. This is using chill. a chill on free speech is what this could do. That's could. exactly what they're trying to do. They're trying yep. to chill people from. It's exactly it. 
yeah. you nailed it, Buzz. It's a chill it's, on free speech. That's what it's an intimidation game, completely and totally. It's exactly what they're using, what they have to bully as a bully pulpit to scare people into not showing up and to not being part. You know, don't be there because if you're if you are there, you might get arrested or associated with a group of people that could potentially be labeled terrorists. And by the way, if only there was somebody who could have said that the Patriot would be problematic towards American citizens at one point in time. If only there was somebody out there that could have said, this okay. is bad news. Um, Shame on the, us neocons. Yeah, I mean, really. We only really. protected you from terrorist attacks in the homeland for 20 years, so whatever. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> thank, yeah, thank, you, think, thank you, Marco. Uh, yeah. Uh, Jason and I are going to team up and beat up on Buzz now. Um, don't take that literally, Department of Justice. We're just, it's figuratively speaking. They, there was a report that came out at one point, Buzz, that said that the uh, Patriot Act was was used in zero, zero actual terrorism investigations. It had well had thwarted zero terrorist attacks, but it had been used uh, in like in drug cases more than yeah. anything else like that was the <laughs> the top end usage i well there's I, I a whole was, tom clancy movie about that right they they, they present a clear and present danger presentation. uh <laughs> I, I remember being told so i was basically i was told that uh by multiple people that when they passed this that they basically the legislation was already written and they just dusted it off and introduced it as the patriot sure. Act. these were these sure. were things that the fbi always wanted right. uh so and that's pretty much how it went. So, but look, um, I, I guess circling but, back to the school board thing, just one last thing I want to say: we we've all been at public meetings that where where tensions were high, uh, and the, and normally, if there if there's one law enforcement officer there in uniform, it it's enough to restrain any troublemaker. Yeah. And so, I, I mean, obviously, none of us, nobody, nobody condones. Uh, emailed threats or threats of violence or, or threats against the safety or life of any school board member or any school official anywhere. Nobody can, nobody supports that. Nobody, uh, but you know, it, it, you know, J, uh, Scott mentioned earlier, his Joe Biden saying it's, it's part of the process to harass and follow a Senator, a female Senator into the restroom, but we're going to sick the department of justice on people who are who are ticked off about various things your school boards are doing it's it's incredibly hypocritical it does certainly seem like a massive overreach uh and a massive overreaction as well and one thing i do want to know if we're paying attention to what prominent federal education officials say uh the randy weingarten i believe said <laughs> it was like praising a, a tell people who I, she is yeah, she, I can't remember which organization. They American Federation of Teachers. American Federation of Teachers. So she tweeted out a picture of a mom and a, <laughs> uh, her the mom and a kid, and the mom had put their their child in another school district because one that required mask mandates, basically saying that she was proud of the mom and like all the. <laughs> it was funny to see so many conservative school choice activists, oh, yeah. libertari libertari libertarian school choice activists, basically <laughs> say thank you for the endor endorsement of school yes, choice. This is exactly what, I said. what we've been saying. Yeah, you tweeted at her. One. Yeah, and look, the behavior of the, of the teachers' unions, and yes, I know immediately I'm going to get an email saying there's no teachers' un unions in Georgia. Page. They're, they're, they're here, but they don't have collective bargaining agreement right. Okay, in, in Georgia, Par right. bargaining power. My mom was a member of Page for years. Page yeah. has activism day at the Capitol oh, yeah. every year. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. But they Our have union. done more. That This is why a charter school enrollment is up 9% in, in the state of Georgia. This is why the Census Bureau says that now 16% of households are homeschooling at least one of their kids. This is why enrollment 
uh, overall in public schools is down 3% uh, over uh, pre-pandemic levels. And this, this action by the Department of Justice you know, is, is only going to enhance that. Parent, there are going to be parents who are going to say, enough of these people, I'm out of here. Yeah. So as they should. With, with that, we're out of time. But a couple of things I do want to note real fast. Georgia did beat Arkansas this week, this past weekend, 37 to nothing. We got Auburn this week. Georgia Tech, I did note Buzz, won their game this weekend. Uh, no, we got pounded. It was, oh wait, it was I uh, thought you guys won. No, Pitt, 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 look. Oh, no way. I just wanted to hear you say that Tech lost. <laughs> we, we have a very young team that does not understand yet that you have to give the same level of effort every week. They, you know, they thought they could just cakewalk in, and Pitt is an underrated team. Pitt's a pretty good football team. Uh, they were underrated. No one they, ever. Took, they, took they took Tech to the woodshed. Pitt hasn't had a good football team since Dan Marino was quarterback. So <laughs> well, They got a pretty good one now. Their, their quarterback is uh, – one of the top rated pal with top five passer in the are they ranked? No. Okay. That, that, <laughs> as if to prove my hey, point. All, all will be better. We 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 travel to Durham to play lowly Duke. So if if you know we we should we should write the ship this week and well this will make you feel good, uh Buzz. Uh uh Kennesaw State, which Georgia Tech beat earlier this year, pounded Jacksonville State over the weekend, which beat Florida State earlier in the year yeah. as well so you have that ergo ergo we're acc champions though. right <laughs> uh i'm, I'm isn't I'm ja just... jacksonville state coached by uh our friend deon sanders right? no that's no that's jackson um not jacksonville state so i am uh i am i am pulling for 60 points against georgia tech so over okay. under 60 points take him up on it bet bet the uh, black label coke zero it's worth i'll money. take it <laughs> all right folks have a great rest of your we week. play we'll great you. and great games we just stink against team, team games we should win I, i'm just going i'll just go back and point that you guys have beat us three times in the last 20 years well so, that's why you, that's why they forfeited last year okay <laughs> <laughs> with that folks we are out of time we'll see you next week have a great rest of your week peace out take care bye, bye.